Oliver Callan on RTE Radio 1. Uh, we're in studio with a playwright and actor Emmett Kerwin. Good morning. He's um, you're going to bring Dublin Old School. The play is coming back for its tenth anniversary. Tenth anniversary to the it's Olympia Theatre. Yeah, it's ten years. Ten years. Yeah, it started. Uh, yeah, in in Beauty's Cafe, and now it's uh, going to the. That was upstairs. It was upstairs. Yeah, in the old Beauty's, um, which I think it's back there now. But yeah, looking forward to it. And remind us of Dublin Old School. What was the what was the idea behind it? How did it come about? So in your head, the idea was based around two brothers um, who hadn't seen each other in like three or four years who were estranged. Um, one of them was homeless and stumbling and the other brother who is a DJ is kind of careering through Dublin on this wild weekend and then bumps into his brother who he hasn't seen in about three or four years. And then they reconnect over the course of the weekend while in the midst of all these parties and raves. So it was kind of something that was about, I suppose, I wanted, this is highfalutin language now, an anthropological look at the <laughs> dance, music and youth culture of Ireland at that particular time, which yeah. was in the post-crash kind of period. And then what it meant about drugs and drug addiction, I suppose, and how kind of things like that affect families, you know. Keeping the sessions going, wasn't that the yeah, sort Yeah, of... that's it. I say all that now, but it is it is an out-and-out comedy. <laughs> so, you know, you hear a producer in my ear going, tell them it's funny, you the, know. The best uh, comedy which has the truth in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just that thing of how brothers needle each other and family needles each mm. other and kind of gives each other a hard time and, and say things to each other that, you know, they would never say to anybody else. What did the play say about uh, drugs and drug culture in Dublin at that time? I think because it was written, it's kind of loosely set in the post-crash era. So there's a lot of references to people dancing in the ruins of emptiness or, you know, things that don't exist anymore. So at the time, similar to what's happening now, it's about the attitude towards people who do hard drugs and find themselves homeless and then the people that do what are called party drugs. So there's a difference or a moralising that happens with one drug being okay, socially accepted, and another drug being completely not accepted, you know? So about that hypocrisy that exists to how we treat different addicts. Who do we think is doing the... Um, uh, uh, who has the different attitudes between the two? Yeah, I don't know. I think... It's middle-class drug-taking versus... Yeah, but I think that, that, that's, that's been... That kind of class barrier has been completely destroyed. And I think even in the last, like, 15 years, apparently, you know what I mean? You see what the kind of attitudes towards drug-taking are now, or or drug-taking, what's the word I'd use? The types of drugs that are being taken, you know, are, are across the board, you know? Mm-hmm. They've, uh, uh, it's across all of society now. Yeah, all of society, like, from, you know, all of society. I suppose the, the dance music scene, as it was described in the play in the early 1990s, was about, you know, um, ecstasy tablets and stuff like that, <clears throat> and how middle-class kids and working-class kids were both taking those drugs and coming together. But now, you know, a lot of right. drugs and the attitudes towards drugs, I think, is around cocaine and stuff, you know? Yeah, which used to be the kind of rich people's That's it, drug, yeah. wasn't it? But now it's, uh, it's just yeah, so widespread. Um, the great thing that people loved about this play, uh, 2014, was that it's uh, if it was really Dublin, wasn't it? This yeah. really told the story of true Dublin, what was going on in the aftermath of, of the crash. Is it completely, is that now a legacy thing? Kind of is. Yeah, is yeah. Really? like a lot of the venues that are mentioned in the play don't exist anymore. Right, the nightclubs. Nightclubs, yeah. And a lot of them you now saying that would have just sprung up as a result of there was an abandoned building, so let's put something here while nobody else wants to use it, give it utility. But yeah, the, the city is completely changed, completely changed. It's kind mm. of now a timepiece 
or a time capsule, I should say, about Dublin at a particular point in history. Yeah. I, I remember that kind of post-scratch. There was lots of independent restaurants. It was, it was an exciting time. Yeah. Despite everyone, you know, the doom and gloom of it being a recession and, and people streaming out of the country and so, so on. Many, yeah, there was a, one guy said to me, there's loads of holes in the dance floor, you know, of places where people used to be and uh, there was people left behind. So you either had a choice, you stayed and did a DIY thing in terms of what you wanted to make or mm. do or you emigrated, you know, at that time. I suppose because the rents were cheap for the commercial enterprises yeah. and for the people who were obviously going to them and, and that, that has been upended. Entirely. That lasted about five years. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Halcyon days of cheap rent. Yeah, about five. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. And it starts in 2014, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of starts kicking back up. So um, there's a lot of talk about the state of Irish arts and culture and you you seem to say because it's a timepiece. Yeah. I mean, how bad? You you usually have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the art scene. I'm a dad now though, all of it. So <laughs> okay. I'm not hip to the game anymore. Not cool with the kids. Uh, no. None of your uh, age group or none of my age group they're all kind of talking about the new Dune is out you know that kind of way <laughs> it's in IMAX that's, that's the most the exciting it's going to get for me yeah I'm going to see that thing and big screen baby um, well yeah like thousands of venues have closed mm. in the last 10 years um, because of onerous licensing laws um, for multitude costs rents insurance so the scene has young people are finding themselves in a changed landscape not even knowing what the city would have been 10 years ago because they would have been teenagers or if they're in their 20s now Wouldn't they're, they're yeah. trying to make entertainment for themselves they're trying to have a youth culture similar to what other generations have had and they, they're not able to do that because those places don't exist and when they try to make their own parties or put the wrong parties on they find themselves getting shut down you know so the landscape has totally changed and you need a vibrant youth culture if we are to one maintain young people staying here in this country and not having them emigrate by the thousands it's not just about jobs it's not just about accommodation they also have to have um, a cultural identity that they can latch onto. They have to have places to go to. And if you mm. remove all of those cultural spaces where they can be young people safely, um, you're not really you're creating a hostile space for them. I don't think they're creating a hostile space. The hostile space is being created because of inefficacy and and just not getting on with changing licensing laws the way they should do. Yeah, the government has said they they're they're planning they to do have, that. And they have, and give us yeah. give us the nice are the main group that is is campaigning for that. The overhaul of licensing laws, the overhaul of the uh, do they represent times. the clubs and, and dance? They do, yeah, it? and they're they're a good bunch of people. Sunil Sharp is a, is a, is a DJ who has been spearheading that campaign for like nearly twenty years now. So that's how long that lobbying group has been. Well, they're not lobbying group, but that they have been knocking at the door of the government to do something, take serious action. And if you go to their website, you can see all the great ideas they have, like a nighttime mayor. Um, you know how people get licences and how we use cultural spaces it's not just about alcohol or giving people late licences it's about p- keeping places open till six you know yeah and the Department of Justice they've, um, they've put it together some pilot schemes haven't they that seem to have worked very well yeah they have but um, but there, there, there's a the serious overhaul of the Dance Hall Act um, that the is 1935 yeah, Dance Hall Act, Dance Hall Act yeah. which we were just talking about this is about all before. the opening hours and licensing yeah. issues isn't well, it well essentially in the 1930s the, the bishops and uh, the Gaelic League thought that large gatherings of young people was leading to the moral turpitude of the nation and it was yeah. based around things like foreign dancing set dancing anti-jazz campaign um, there were marches against jazz yeah, yeah. Uh, down, uh, down with jazz down with paganism paganism yeah they alluded to both of them so those laws not that you know anything like that is in the statute book but that's the world that influenced that particular set of laws. And they are still the same laws that now govern us and govern licensing and govern our nightlife and govern our culture. So mm. it's it, they're anachronistic, they're archaic, they need to be completely overhauled. And uh, the government has some ideas. It doesn't go far enough, I don't think. 
but uh, they could really help out um, a lot of struggling bands, music venues, cultural uh, venues, theatres. You know, we need a vibrant life, and we just need to bring ourselves in line with what's happening in Europe. Do the um, the the new the new laws that would allow nightclubs to be allowed open till six a.m. would yeah. that help? I think so because staggered opening times can only be a good thing um, for the city, but also. It's not just about allowing people to keep getting alcohol, like, you know, four or five in the morning. Uh, these places can be cultural centres that open during the daytime as well. Yeah. And then can go on. The idea that, you know, we're one of the only cities in Europe that when DJs or bands come here, they're told at half one or two o'clock, get off the stage. That's the stop, you yeah. know, we have, we just, by doing this, we would just be bringing ourselves into line with what our European neighbours have been doing for 50 years. So we're behind They it. dance all day at the weekends, yeah. don't they? That's yeah. it. The co- the yes, concert. absolutely. And it's not all just about alcohol. It's just about having a place of culture that people can go to that they might want to stay in, you know. Um, the nightclub industry, I mean, it's synonymous with drugs, unfortunately, isn't it? The club mm. scene, the dancing, all of that. I think it used to be. I think this generation are, they drink less. They don't smoke yeah. as much. Yeah. I know people might scoff at that idea, but like, it's, I think that, moral panic of the 1990s has never gone away and I don't think it's That's that all teenagers will do drugs and destroy their lives. But this is the same arguments they used in the 1930s. You know, so there's always a folk devil that children essentially allowed, not children, but you know, young people allowed to congregate are going to get up to no good. I think they're adults. I think we need to allow them to, if they want to go to dance venues, that you know, discriminating against a particular form of dance music because there's a fear that something will proliferate there that's not borne out in evidence, really, I don't think. Mm. Uh, the Citizens' Assembly on Drugs and the outcome, you would agree largely with that? If yeah, and I think... It's to turn into a health issue rather than a... It should a be a health-led... Um, it should be a health-led issue. All of the things that were put forward have been agreed upon. It's just a case of the government legislating for that. That's, I think that's a long way away, though. Just, I, just I, as the licensing laws are, I mean, they, yeah. they, were prom- they were announced in 2020 and we're still waiting for those uh, licensing laws yeah. to be... Uh, to, uh, they were actually uh, Helen McAtee the Justice Minister promised to enact the extension of opening hours and to make outdoor seating on a permanent footing it was at the end of February which we're at the 26th yeah. of February now maybe that will get done this week Hopefully, but that's what they're yeah. promising by the summer um, I, I think sometimes yeah I think with, I, I can understand sometimes with the licensing laws there's a fear that in small communities a, a weather spoons is going to open on the, the edge of town and basically swamp all the local pubs you know yeah. so there's a reason there that's mm. that, I think that's possibly something that's jamming up the gears of the movement on that like so you know because small pubs are centres of communities and if they are a centre of the community then maybe they should be protected against kind of huge they're uh, suffering for sure and a lot of the public and particularly in rural areas would say it's drink driving yeah, uh, legislates so on, but it probably is also connected to just a huge societal change where the dads and you live experience in this. Yeah, they used to just go to the pub. Their lives didn't change at all when the children arrived, did they? they yeah. Now it's very different. Very different. I think yeah. I'd be like every once a year. Oh, <laughs> okay. I'm allowed out. No, yeah, it is. I think there's a huge cultural difference and a cultural shift. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. You know, look again. I'm just an artist, like talking about these things. Half, half. You artists are not living in the real world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like normal people. Yeah. Uh, how long are you, Dad? I am a dad. My son is nearly two. Nearly two. So okay. two years. Are settling down. Then, yeah, yeah. Sleep still, is regulated. Not really. Not really. Oh, really? I still have that wild-eyed early dads kind of thing. You know, <laughs> where people are asking me questions. I'm like, what day is it? I called a nappy a banana yesterday. So <laughs> right, I goes, okay. I'll put this banana on you now. And I was like. And then I said something else. I used the word banana for something. So I think my uh, cognitive abilities are deteriorating for the day, Oliver. Uh, and mashing bananas. Yeah, that's it. One, yeah. one activity. Don't know. know what's up and what's down. 
But it's great, obviously. No, it is. I'm, I am absolutely, uh, yeah, I love being a dad. It's amazing. So that decade went from you being the artist, hip to the scene. And even then I was a how-do, how-do fellow kids. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, was, I might have been even a bit old then. Uh, yeah, you know, I sw- yeah, maybe. Maybe it's, yeah, the, the club scene is fine. You just haven't seen it. <laughs> it is. It always is. That's it is. Every, every generation lives a different type of youth. I must mention some of those clubs actually have closed down. Uh, the Tin yeah. Nightclub, is there, they're mentioned in Dublin Old School. Tripod, Red Box, Re-Raw. Yeah. The Temple Theatre. The Temple Theatre as well, yeah. yeah. I remember that one in my day when I went to DC. Oh, brilliant, yeah. Bondi Beach Club in the south side. Never went to that now. Barcode, that's uh, a... That's the north, that was the north side it? version of it, Beside wasn't it? the big gym there, yeah. Yeah. The Kitchen. Was that one of the Clarence? That was one of the Clarence, yeah. I think I was kind of a bit young for that as well. I don't never... Yeah, and Andrew's Lane, which of course is the Andrew's Lane was brilliant, which is now... An apart hotel. hotel. There you go. Well, that's what happens. We keep on tearing down all the cultural centres and turning them into hotels. That's what the post-crash was all uh, about. T- yeah. What about Dublin now? I mean, I know your dad, but you do get to see the city the odd time, I'm sure. Yeah, well, look, I live... A lot of talk about it being just, like, not a place to go to anymore, but obviously tens of thousands of people still do. They still do, yeah. I lived in the city for 20 years and I lived in Temple Bar for about seven years. So I really seen... Right. Yeah, I really seen the city change um, from 2014 just up to COVID. So it's seen, yeah, big changes in the city. And where did you grow up in? I grew up in Talla. You grew up in Talla? Yeah. Which people in Talla sometimes don't call it Dublin as much, do they? Talla's its own thing. Yeah, it's its own thing. But that's I think that happens, you know, even like plays and doing a play in... January and somebody was worried about we're putting it on a town and in Tala and mm. the person was like don't be worried about that those two are you know people are totally they're going to go to see it in Tala they're not going to journey all the way into Brilliant town theater you know? out there, isn't yeah it? it's amazing theatre that's the civic theatre mm. uh, it's an incredible theatre great uh, lineup of shows for people but um, I think yeah if the place is kind of uninviting um, or if people don't feel safe in it they're not going to come in you know what is kind of the essence of Dublin now if that's not a really you know preposterous question I don't know <laughs> You don't know because you're not... I don't know. Well, like, I suppose that thing, like cities or places kind of mean different things to different people. So True. the idea that you could give one singular idea what the city represents or what it is, I don't know. There's Maybe. no... It seemed to be easier years ago, didn't it? Yeah, possibly, yeah. Maybe I, not even then. Not even then. I suppose it, it is different to different people, things that mean different things. They know? were jazzing in one part of the yeah, city. Well, that was what we were saying, <laughs> yeah, that the league said, uh, this station playing jazz music and the Minister for Finance at the time was jazzing every night. <laughs> I think jitterbugging as well was, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. was a major concern of, <laughs> of the bishops of the Gaelic League. Do, do you still love Dublin? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It usually... It's a major part of any play that I write... Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it becomes because it's what you know and the characters that are there are the ones that are most easily accessible so I write about Dublin all the time um, someone told me I should stop you know <laughs> they were like maybe get a new get a new beat you know oh. but that's yeah it's, it's I think all writers will write about what they know and the experiences that they have so like I, I lived in London and I lived there so that's really kind of it you know to go what to draw on What is it that you love about Dublin? Um, I think well obviously it's people a turn of phrase um, the language of Dublin and yeah. how, yeah, how language is a thing that's ever evolving and ever changing and really speaks to a person's culture and their background and their heritage and there's a multitude of different forms of accents and sounds and the stories that the city tells constantly, you know, are the things that really... 
drive me to write about it and so much. I think it's amazing how resistant accents in Ireland are to yes. this globalisation, yeah, internet, social media, a whole lot. I mean, we sometimes complain that everyone sounds American now, but they don't really. They don't really. They, they, I wrote a show uh, that was on last year and it's coming back in January. It's called Accents. Yeah. And, you know, accents are, you get, your accent, your base accent is whatever comes out of your mouth when you're angry. <laughs> Very good. Or when I've you're talking that way before. Or when you're talking to your peer group. So young kids when they're watching American television or Australian television, Bluey, for example, might have that kind of sound. Yeah. But when they start school, their accent or what their core accent will become is whatever their peer group was that they went to school with. So it usually comes with all these different things. So accents are always changing, constantly changing. There's a multitude of influences. And external influences like television does actually influence. But primarily it will be formed by their experiences with their peer group in school. So it's a unique thing that speaks to their life, you know. So it's yeah. something to be celebrated as opposed to dismissed. Um, but language is always changing, like what the Dublin accent is now compared to what it was 100 years ago. So when people get kind of, you know, bent you looked at You looked at this obviously when you're doing your play. You yeah, play. yeah. The, the play Accents is, um, I, I did a play with a, a musical artist called uh, Own French who performs as... Talos, he's from Cork, and he wrote a, a beautiful score for a play that I did called Accents, which was a multitude of uh, poems about 12 hours, set 12 hours before the birth of my son. So it's about the working class communities from Dublin, how they've moved out and out and out, and how the accents have changed, and what your accent is, what your grandparents' accent was, or parents, and then possibly what your son or child or daughter, uh, their accent would be. So, um, yeah, so I looked into it. Yeah, a lot. You know, there's a lot of study. Around is it that. in good shape, the uh, the Dublin accent? I think it is, yeah. I think, you know, all of those accents that come in from other places around the world influence the accent. Mm. So it changes constantly. And it's, you hear loads of lovely new sounds and new voices. So, you know, the accent, there is a difference between an accent from South Inner City to Crumlin to Tala. Very minute, you know. It is it's But if you listen, you know, any... Um, because uh, I thought the kind of Brendan Behan accent, yeah, it was sort of dead. But I've heard it in places. You will weirdly in kind of places where there there are social housing in posh areas of Dublin, like right, in Black yeah. Rock, yeah, and down yeah. there, and which, which is sometimes forgotten about Donnybrook. And yeah. if you hear them, those those people talking, yeah. you'll get there's, uh, there's kind of it's a an strange, old fashioned Dublin accent. Diptongs thrown into words like uh, we were we didn't have much money, but we were poor. Yeah, As opposed yeah. to in Tala, they say we didn't have much money, we were poor. So there's just a straight delongation of those two vowel sounds together, kind of just rolled together. So that, that diphthong has kind of been lost. And you'll find maybe a man or a woman that are in their 60s or 70s to from a traditional working class um, a community that have, you know, lovely accents, a uh, real clear voice, and they'd say things like that, book. Or, you know, yeah, as my mother right. says, she says, it actually is book because there's two O's there. <laughs> she says, book is actually B-U-K. Yeah, and right, I said, yeah. ma'am, you know what? I cannot fault it's your book. logic. It is book. It's somebody saying, uh, nobody wants to be working. This is about nightclubs. The texts oh, yeah. are coming in. Nobody wants to be working in a nightclub till 7 or 8 a.m. They won't get anyone to work those shifts, says Dan in Cork. Dan mustn't, must know it all. I would say there's a lot of students out there be putting yeah. the hand <laughs> off, putting the hand off your extra shifts. Extending opening hours are not required. There's no one in the country pubs except on Saturdays and Sunday until 8 p.m. on Sunday. Sundays. 
Again, there are plenty of exceptions to that. I'd say the same major. Um, yeah, anyway. A great nightclub conversation. Maybe the right moment to pay respects to Jean Crowley, the legendary Dubliner who was well known in the capital's nightclub scene. Oh, lovely. Queen of the high club scene at Lily's Bordello, who passed away last week. That's from Sarah. Oh. Yes, Jean from Lily's. Yes, that would be known to a set yeah. in Dublin around. Uh, it's, it's gone now, Lily's Bordello. It's, well, it's still a club. Is it still there? I think it's called something else now. Yeah, I think See, the name this is. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah, we wouldn't I'm just, know. I don't have my finger on the pulse. Um, Please tell Emmett I enjoyed his brief but no less memorable role as the Irish Catholic priest in the film Freud's Last Session opposite opposite Anthony Hopkins. Did he see that? Well, I haven't even seen that yet. Matthew Thank Good. you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, identifying the statue of Bridget in his church. I saw the file as part of, I saw the film as part of this year's Dublin International Film Festival yesterday afternoon. Excellent. seeing it. I've seen it. Looking yeah. forward to Dublin Old School again. That was Beckham nice, Burn. yeah. Anthony Hopkins. Could, you that. could have called it Dublin Old School again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Emma Curran's such a talent I saw his show Accents in The Mermaid last year it was so brilliant thank you very much will you do that one again I'd be Accents is coming back for a nationwide tour it's coming to the Project Arts Centre in January of next year and then it's going to Cork uh, Tala Limerick Galway you're busy uh, busy 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 and then Old School obviously is in the Olympia in September and Freud's last session last session, I think it's coming, coming out, out yeah. soon isn't it I, I think, think it's coming yeah. out soon yeah, yeah Freud's Hopkins last session were you hanging out with him at all Did you I was to... yeah lovely man he's yeah. uh, so like chatty and lovely and, and you know loves the chats you know a lot of <laughs> like you know a lot of actors if you uh, especially some like people are annoying you think, them yeah, like, he's just sitting there hey Emmett you know I'm not going to do his accent now yeah it's great to see you hello Emmett no uh, he was yeah, but he was so nice, and I was uh, like, he was asking me about things, and he was really interested. He was telling me stories about Peter O'Toole and Peter O'Toole's bodyguard and Bray Go in the Royal. Just telling me just just great stories about kind of working in Ardmore in the sixties. I think he came over here, and I think he might he worked somewhere maybe the Gaiety or the Olympia. He did Borsal Boy. You were saying about Brendan Bean, and he did. Is that right? Yeah. Hopkins did. Yeah. So he was back and forth here in the 60s um, before, and while he was in the National, just before he became obviously a huge star. Yeah. But um, what a lovely man. Sounds so much talent. Oh, yeah, yeah. And loads of stories. It was great. He was chatting away about different films that he'd done and and asking me then as well. I was like, what's your background? You know, brilliant. Sound guy. That is class. We have to let you go because you're going off somewhere, aren't you? You're going off to, can you say where you're going? Yeah, I'm going to Wefield Prison to do a poetry reading. So you're doing poetry reading with with prisoners? Yeah. Is um, this something you do a good bit? too much no um, okay. Lynn Rowan uh, Senator Lynn Rowan asked me to come out uh, oh, so yeah she does a podcast um, and uh, it's in relation to that yeah so yeah that'd be, that'd be fun okay I'll let you know. I think we kept you later than we, we promised I'm sorry about oh, that no, Emma, but thanks a million so, for that but old school Dublin old school here. is coming back uh, it's going to be in the Olympia in September in September and tickets are on sale they're on sale right now at ticketmaster.com ticketmaster all of that you'll find it Emma Curran it's been a pleasure we'll let you go thanks, thanks Oliver 51551 that's the text Email oliver at rte.ie. 